0: What's good boys and girls, welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on Wednesday, the 28th of October. We are brought to you by EPL Index in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software package. How are we all today? Uh, It's a very quiet day today, a little bit of Champions League stuff to talk about. And a little bit of news. So we'll start off with the news. Uh, First things first, the Premier League have voted to reject the idea of reducing the pay per view charge on current Premier League games from £15 to £10, or as Mike Ashley had suggested, to £5. Now, their logic behind this is that the Championship are currently charging £10 per game for the games that they're running on pay per view. And do you know what? It, you can't really argue with that. Because if they were to drop up it to the same price, they would sort of be admitting that the Premier League and Championship were of the same calibre of product. And you can't really ask the Championship to drop their price any lower, given the financial ramifications of covid how many championship teams are struggling now as i've said before i have very little sympathy for the championship clubs who find themselves in massive financial issue, uh, difficulty because they've overspent chasing that premier league dream they have not spent within their means they have been reckless and therefore i, I don't have that sympathy for them but I do see the need for them to charge £10. They don't get anywhere near the television money that Premier League clubs get. They do mostly rely on gate receipts to fund what parts of the club they fund. So I don't blame the championship clubs for charging £10 for going with the strategy they went with. I do entirely blame blame the Premier League. As I've said before, I don't think there should be Premier League games on pay-per-view when you're already having to pay so much for what's already available. Especially when you consider that outside of the UK, in Australia, in Asia, in America, the packages that people there buy, they get all the games. They don't have any of this pay-per-view nonsense. They have access to everything. When I lived in Australia and in Canada, I could watch any Premier League game. They were all on television. So that's where I draw the line. Um, I think the Premier League, though, I mean, I can understand their argument that, look, we can't drop it to the same price as the championship or lower. We have to keep it that bit higher. And that's absolutely fine. As long as they understand that it's also absolutely fine for fans to boycott paying that that pay-per-view fee and donate that money elsewhere. We've seen Arsenal fans... Leeds fans, Newcastle fans, a lot, of, a lot of fan bases take that money and do good with it rather than lining the pockets of people that don't need that money and won't even notice that money. They're giving it to charity where it will make a massive difference. So while I appreciate the Premier League have to you know, take their stance and, and they've given their logic, I will continue to encourage people not to pay that fee uh, not to buy into this nonsense. To get yourself an IPTV, get yourself a VPN, and simply donate that money to charity. Even if it's not fifteen pounds, even if it's five pounds, even if it's one pound, just donate that money to a charity, and let's let's help the hungry, let's help the homeless, let's do good for people. Um, next up then is a slightly a slightly different tone, and unfortunately this is. This is where football goes wrong. This is where the line between what's meant to be entertainment blurs into carrying it into your real life. And Jordan Pickford, he of the little arms, he has had to hire bodyguards um, because he's received death threats after the tackle on Virgil van Dijk. Now, I I have been extremely critical of Jordan Pickford, both for the tackle and his general goalkeeping failures, but the idea that people have been sending him death threats sickens me. And this is the fan base of the club that I support who have done this. And I'm ashamed of each and every one of them who have taken part in this. I think this is an absolute disgrace. I think it's disgusting. It's tribalism at its very, very worst. Jordan Pickford was at his job and did something stupid, and somebody else got hurt. He deserves criticism. He does not deserve death threats. He should not have his wife and his one year old child requiring bodyguards he should not have to live in that type of fear like what planet do we live on where this is okay how can anybody think it's okay to send death threats to somebody over a football match it it just beggars belief it's beyond comprehension how can anyone sit down and think, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to send a death threat to that guy who hurt my favourite player. And don't think that... like, As much as I've criticised him... I don't for one second believe that Pickford set out to hurt Van Dyke. I think he was utterly reckless. He should have received a red card. But I don't believe he set out to hurt Virgil Van Dyke. And I, I don't imagine... That he hasn't lost sleep over the fact that he cost a fellow professional an entire season of their career. I believe that will weigh on him. I don't think he needs to be subjected to this type of nonsense. I think we've gone far too far into the comic world of what's okay and what's not the line between fantasy has just been completely obliterated. It's not okay to threaten anybody's life, let alone a footballer for what he did in a football match. The more I think about it, the more annoyed I get. And I've spoken a few times on this podcast about my hatred of tribalism and how I feel like we can't just park our feelings for a football club. It has to overtake everything else in our lives. It has to be the defining feature of who you are as a person. A friend of mine said to me the other day, he said, do you ever find it strange when somebody who's not from Liverpool gets referred to as a scouse so-and-so, just because they follow Liverpool Football Club. Or somebody from who's not from Manchester gets referred to as a Manc so-and-so, even though they don't. Or just, sorry, just because they follow Manchester United. And it is true. You see it everywhere. You see it here in Ireland. You will get a guy from Dublin referring to a guy from Cork As a scouse so-and-so. I've been called a scouse so-and-so. I couldn't be less scouse if I tried. I was called that by somebody from Calvin. Now, he said it in jest, but that is still the mindset. And it's not just him, it's many others. In return, I've heard others called mank so-and-sos, when they could be from Longford. Or Mullingar. It's the strangest thing. It's almost like people can't separate their football fandom from the rest of their lives. As if that is what defines them as a human being. And if that is how you live your life, then that's up to you. I think you might need to readdress your priorities. But and you know, it's also the line that gets blurred between real life and social media, because for me, social media is not real. Twitter is not a real place. It's not somewhere you can you go and you just normal. I mean, <laughs> some people are, but you know, you see a lot of people, they have these, these Twitter personas. Uh, they give themselves a, a nickname or whatever, and they, they hide behind that. They don't put the real name up. They don't put a picture of themselves up. They don't show anything about themselves as a personality or, or as a person. Some of them are just basically professional trolls. Their, their entertainment is to go on Twitter and troll people, uh, be that true, you know, a bit of slagging off or, in some cases, death threats. And to think that it's okay to go on any platform and do that is, is beyond me. But that is the world we now live in. We live in a world where, unfortunately, the political climate and certain political leaders uh, like Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or Erdogan, they have enabled these fringe lunatics to become more mainstream and push hatred out into the world. And unfortunately, that manifests itself in a, a couple of different ways. And when people see, well... You know, Donald Trump says whatever he wants on social media and, you know, I can now say whatever I want on social media. And that's why we've seen an uptick in racism on social media, in sexism on social media, um, in in just general hate speech. And, And again, that just drifts over into the likes of this, where a player is receiving death threats for something he did on a football field. It is just madness. And the thing is that none of the people giving Jordan Pickford this level of abuse would dare say it to his face. Because they're all about 14. I mean, that is the other thing. This isn't... You might have the odd case where it's a guy in their late 20s or 30s sending them a death threat, but in in the majority it is kids. It's what's known as football Twitter. It's that you know, 14 to 18-year-old group of idiots. Um, The ones that say things like, oh, such-and-such is clear of that guy, and it's nonsense, you don't know what you're talking about. Or they reply to things that you don't know bald, as if they have a clue what they're talking about. And you really hope that they get a life lesson at some point. You'd love for... Twitter's algorithm to pick up messages like that and to trace it back to that person and for that person to get a little knock on the door from a police constable and then watch them fill their trousers, Then watch the big, tough internet troll reduce into a shriveled up little ball of tears crying for his mammy. Because that's what would happen. Or, better yet, let Jordan Pickford go around and punch them in the face. (laughs) I don't promote violence, but you know, how would they react face to face with him? They certainly wouldn't be as big and as brave and as braggadocious as they are on social media. I don't know. Leave Jordan Pickford alone. I will take care of the Jordan Pickford slander for everybody. But leave him alone. The man does not deserve that. He does not deserve to have to go to work and worry about his wife and child at home, in his house. He shouldn't have to pay out for bodyguards. He really shouldn't. That's not going to come cheap. I and mean, yeah, he can he can afford it, but he shouldn't have that expense. He's got a young kid. Let him spend that money on his kid and his wife. Or on, you know, arm lengthening surgery. But stop with the absolute mindless nonsense it really really is below the vast majority of people And twitter get your algorithms rhythm sorted and just ban accounts ban ips of people that do that it's just simple stuff guys you can you have such a a complex algorithm that if somebody shares 4 seconds of premier league footage you can immediately block their account but when someone sends a death threat, unless it's to trump then you'll block them automatically. But if it's to anybody else, you don't. That seems a little bit weird. Um, Right. Champions League last night. Liverpool beat Mitterland 2-0. A a dreadful game of football, it must be said. A genuinely (laughs) dreadful game of football. Liverpool were atrocious for pretty much the entire game. A couple of lovely moments of football. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a good game he was one of the very few that did Um, it was the third game in a row where Liverpool have played badly and won and that's not a bad habit to be in but it is a little bit concerning when you consider they've got West Ham Atalanta and Manchester City up next and then after the international break they'll have Leicester and Atalanta so that is a tough run of games Uh, They have uh, another big blow last night when Fabinho limps off with what is expected to be a hamstring injury and that could rule him out for four to six weeks. Given the injury to Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip's current fitness issues, it's not ideal timing for Liverpool to lose another centre-half, but this is of their own making. This is an issue of their own making because they decided not to sign a central defender in the summer window. Now, my understanding is that they did actually try. Uh, they tried to sign Wesley Fafana And he chose Leicester because they were willing to offer him more playing time. But you need to have alternate targets. I'm sorry. You just do. They were strongly linked to Ozan Kibak. Um They did definitely make inquiries around that player. But nothing came of it. And given Schalke's financial position... It would have been likely very, very easy to pull him away from there because they are broke. They are in a really, really bad spot right now, and in truth, Liverpool have, have created this mess for themselves. Now, there's been, you know, there's been some suggestions that uh, Joel Matip will be back for the weekend, and that is a, that's a big, a big plus. For Liverpool. He's obviously a, a good defender. But he is very fragile. And it's unlikely that you could really expect him to play against West Ham, Atalanta and Manchester City. You might get two from the three. I would be in favour of seeing Reese Williams play against West Ham. I know he's incredibly inexperienced. But he's very, very composed. He's big and strong. He's good in the air. And I think that might be... A good fit against Sebastian Haller. And then let Joe Gomez sort of play as the sweeper. Let him deal with the pace coming from the likes of Jared Bowen. West Ham are almost certainly going to come into this game with the same team that's played the last few games. bar Haller in for the injured Antonio. So Pablo Fernandez is not going to hurt you with pace. But Jared Bowen might. From midfield, you're not going to get much pace, but you will get Suchek bursting forward into the box. You'll get pace from their wing-backs, but Liverpool should have enough to cope with that. Um, So I I would go with Rhys Williams. I think he's the best option to cope with the aerial side of what Sebastian Haller will bring, and let, let Joe Gomez play as almost like a sweeper who just tidies up behind him, gets any loose balls, and uh and, like I say, can cope with the pace of Bowen breaking from out to in. There's been a suggestion from noted boffin uh Kevin Phillips that Jordan Henderson should play center back um he's played there once and he was awful. He played there in the world club cup the World Club Cup against Monterey and was awful, so that shouldn't happen again. Um, he doesn't have the positional awareness, doesn't have the positional discipline, doesn't read the game well enough, leave him in midfield. That just because he plays in holding midfield doesn't mean he can play centre-back. Lucas Leva played holding midfield for years, and uh, played centre-back, and was an unmitigated disaster there. And he was a better holding midfielder than Henderson is. As a natural holding midfielder, he was better than Henderson. So leave Henderson in midfield uh, and leave centre-back to centre-backs Liverpool will need to address that in January though they they won't get through the end of the season with just these these four centre backs because Gomez is injury prone, Matip is injury prone, and Fabinho while not injury prone this is the second season where he's picked up an injury that's probably going to keep him out for 4 to 6 weeks. So that's a little bit concerning for Liverpool fans. Uh, Manchester City beat Marseille 3-0. This was a fairly comprehensive performance by City. Um, Ferran Torres put them ahead just before the 20-minute mark. Then Ilkay Gundogan and Raheem Sterling got two quick succession goals late in the second half. To cap, uh, like I say, a comprehensive performance. Uh, City were dominant in this game, 65% possession, four times as many shots, twice as many shots on target. They look good last night, I have to say. I, I, I was impressed by City last night. I thought in midfield, they really ran the game very, very well. De Bruyne was exceptional. The movement up front caused Marseille's defence a lot of problems. Marseille went with a back three, which isn't their usual ploy. They played Bellerdi Gonzalez and Coleta Carr. And then Boubacar's uh, camera as the holding midfielder, another centre-back. But he does traditionally play holding midfield under VS boas I didn't like the move to a back three. I thought it kind of played into City's hands, handed over the you know, the momentum of the game to City, and City punished them. There's no doubt City punished them. It was great to see Ruben Diaz and Amaric Laporte start side by side, uh, especially with Rodri as the holding midfielder, because that is the defensive three oh that they're going to be building on for quite a while. They are three individually very, very good players, three players that have cost a lot of money. And I know money it doesn't really matter at City, but I have to believe that when you spend, you know, sixty million on two of those players and whatever it was, forty five million on Laporte, and Laporte is as good as he is, I have to believe that they are going to be foundational pieces, as will Ederson. So defensively, I think that that is boxed off for the long term. Um, and it's something City can be very, very happy with. Uh, genuinely, individually and collectively, I really like the idea of that four going forward for the long term. I think you've got um, one of the most underrated and one of the best centre-backs in the world in America Laporte, 26 years of age. He is He's still getting better. Ruben Diaz is 23 years of age. He hasn't even come close to his prime yet. He's just going to keep getting better. Rodri is 24. He's getting close to his prime. He's settling into English football now. And he looks so much more comfortable than he did last season. I think a big part of it, though, is there's been a subtle change to how City are playing in midfield this year. And I think it's benefited him. He's moving the ball a lot quicker. He's being more of that Pep style. Of defensive midfielder, I do think there was a big transition for him coming from playing under Diego Simeone and what Simeone asks his midfielders to do and the very small box that Simeone puts his midfielders in. He gives them very little in the way of freedom. There's no real expression from his midfielders. Koke and Saul get a little bit more than the rest. But other than that, they're really in the team to graft. It could be one reason we might see Thomas Partey take a little bit of time to adapt to the Premier League and to adapt to Mikel Arteta just because he's he's been under Simeone for so long that, like I say, he's been restricted for so long. Now that the shackles are going to be taken off, it might just take him a little bit of time to fully express himself. And then you've got Ederson, who's 27. So, for a goalkeeper, that's right around the right age that you want your goalkeeper just to be entering his prime. So, you look at those four and you would be happy. You'd be happy to have that four going forward. You've obviously got Sterling and Foden and Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. You've got lots and lots of good players there. I, I do think fullbacks are still a question mark, especially left-back, obviously, Um but you know, I'd be looking a long term at a successor to, to Kyle Walker long term, and I think they could maybe do with a bit more, a bit more of a direct threat in midfield. Someone with a bit more of a, a high tempo to their game, some a young, ideally a young Yaya would be would be great. But there's not that player out there that I've seen anyway. But if they could add somebody like that to Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne as the midfield three, and so, somebody who can also give give Rodri a bit of help defensively, um, I do think that would would really complete the picture for them. We know they've got quality attackers. They they still need a left winger. I don't think they've replaced um, Leroy Sané at all. You look at the bench last night, and there's a lot of young players there. You've got Eric Garcia now. He is in the final year of his contract and may run that down and leave. And if he does, you know, so be it. Uh, Felix Namiche, Tommy Doyle, Taylor Howard Bellis, Cole Parmer came on for his debut, Adrian Bernardi. There is young players there for City. And if they can get, if they could find another Phil Foden level player, that would be enormous for them because Foden is going to be a star. Now, for all I've said about getting maybe in that, that Yaya type. I do think it's going to be Foden that steps into that midfield spot. I, I do think we will see De Bruyne, Rodri and Foden as the midfield three. Um, uh, myself and Lee Scott have spoken before. And Lee Scott will be joining us tomorrow, Thursday, rather than today. Fibre installations going on, on his road it's cutting out his internet connections. He couldn't join us today, but he, he'll be with us tomorrow all going well. Uh, we've spoken in the past. About Raheem Sterling potentially becoming the number nine and I do think that's what's going to happen at City. I do think he will become the number nine and then you've got the likes of Bernardo to play on the right, and I still think of that left that left winger a left winger and a left back and that city team would be really really exceptional and could be there for you know another four or five years because most of the players are only entering their prime um They'll need to find a long-term replacement for De Bruyne, but so be it. Every club has to eventually find a long-term replacement for world-class players. Uh, But last night, very good performance by City. A very, very comfortable win. And um, they march on in their group, you know. Tonight, United and Chelsea will take the field in the Champions League. United, obviously, great result last time out uh, to beat Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. This time RB Leipzig at home is this is going to be a very very tough game as well. Now this will be an opportunity for United fans to catch a glimpse of DeAndre Meccano, allegedly United's top choice to come in and I was going to say carry Harry Maguire, but it'll be a bit unfair to ask the poor boy to come all the way from Germany to carry that lump. But you know that's what he would be required. To Because apparently when you spend £80 million on a centre-back, what you then need to do is go and buy a world-class centre-back. It's, it's a strange approach to football. But um, Upamecano is, is the top target for a lot of clubs. Real are interested. Barca will want him. I'd imagine Juventus will have a keen interest in him. I know Liverpool have a keen keen interest. You would expect that Arsenal will, will be in there, but whether they have Champions League football will dictate whether or not they can go for him. Chelsea will have an interest. So he he's on the radar for pretty much every club. Um but it'll be interesting to see him up against United. United have been playing differing formations. They went with a back three in Paris, 43 1 in the last two league games, all three games no Paul Pogba in the starting eleven, no Mason Greenwood in the starting eleven, and obviously Anthony Martial um not in there either. So, you know, we'll we'll wait and see what happens in this one. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good game though I think United need to be aggressive I don't think they can afford To be passive against A Leipzig team that will press the life Out of them They need to play on the front foot They need to try and pin Leipzig back They need to get the ball to Bruno Fernandes In areas where he can influence the game They can't be asking him to Drop into his own half And influence the game from there He needs to be getting the ball Inside the, the Leipzig half on the half turn with runners moving in front of him i i would be inclined to play their usual front three of greenwood rashford and marshall if all are fit and ready now i, I don't know about marshall but greenwood is fit and ready get that boy back in that team he is an exceptional footballer he's far too good to be sitting on the bench especially when you are where you are they need pace and movement in front of bruno and then things will tick there will be holes to exploit in that Leipzig team, just because of their style of play. But they're going to come up against some players that I think are going to cause them problems. Um, I I I do have concerns over this United team when they're asked to play at a high tempo. Leipzig at the weekend beat her to Berlin. Now they played it back for Willie Urban in the team, and I don't think that's what we'll see in this one. I think it was quite an experimental lineup, but. Some of the talent in this squad is is just exceptional. The likes of Justin Clivert and, and Kunku, Forsberg, these aren't every game starters for them. These are more the guys that start, you know, when he wants to rest people. Um he's got Danny Olmo there, he's got Yusuf Poulsen. he's got Sorlot, like I say, he's got Upa McCano, Holstenberg, there's Klosterman. There's just so much strength and depth at at this club. It is it is insane how much strength and depth um, Leipzig have at the moment. The one area of real weakness that they have is the goalkeeper. Told on Peter Galaxy at all. He's he's definitely been a good signing for them, given the the length of tenure he's had and how he's grown with the club. But he is a significant drop off from the rest of the players in their team. But they have a lot of different things that they can throw at United tonight. They are without a couple of players. Uh Conrad Conrad Lamar hasn't really played this season. Um Marcel Sabitzer hasn't really played. So, you know, the injuries and and different things keeping them out. Without them, they're not quite as good as they have been in previous years, but I would still expect Leipzig to to give United a hell of a game in this one. Uh United will be will be under pressure. Um Chelsea then have a slightly, slightly easier task than United tonight. Uh, they go to Russia to face Krosnodar. Now Krosnodar are a decent team, but a level below what what Chelsea should be able to beat anyway. Um, I did did stumble across a story during the week. I'm sure everybody has seen it, where Frank Lampard uh, said that he is held to a higher standard than the other big six managers because he's English. And this is, this is delusion of the highest order. Utter delusion. Only Oli gets an easier ride than Frank Lampard in the entire Premier League. Only Oli. Because of all his mates in the media. But Lampard gets it for the same reason. He's not held to any kind of higher standard. That is nonsense. English managers are not held to a higher standard than foreign managers. It's just not true at all. They get far more rope with which to hang themselves than foreign managers do. But like, let's look at Chelsea since Frank took over. So he took over summer of 2019. And, you know, it went all right. They finished fourth on 66 points but the previous season they'd finished 3rd on 72 points in arguably a tougher league because that year Arsenal were good Spurs were good last year it was only really Liverpool and City the year before it was there was at least four teams that were good last year it was two and they Chelsea still just fell over the line They got top four purely because Brendan Rodgers and Leicester collapsed so badly in the second half of the season. It's the only reason they got top four. They regressed last season. They got worse defensively, substantially worse defensively, conceding 15 more goals in the league than they had the previous year. They went out early in the EFL Cup, losing to Manchester United. They did get to the final of the FA Cup and then completely bottled it against Arsenal. The previous season, they'd gone out early in the FA Cup. They did get to the final of the the League Cup. But they also won the Europa League, walloping Arsenal 4-1 in the process. So, no matter what way you look at it, Lampard did much worse than Sari. Now, The excuse for Lampard has always been, oh, but he didn't have a transfer window. Nonsense. They couldn't replace Hazard. Nonsense. They had replaced Hazard. They replaced Hazard in the January transfer window when they signed Christian Pulisic. He was always the Hazard replacement. That's what he was signed to be. They signed him they loaned him back, and then he arrived in the summer, nice and fresh, for Frank Lampard to work with. He also had the advantage of having Kovacic not as a lone player, but as a permanent player, with that security of knowing, this is where I play now. This is where I'm going to be for the foreseeable future. Because when Kovacic was there under Sarri, he didn't think he was going to get to stay. So, you look at the performance of Kovacic last season, I would argue, as a purely central midfielder, not an attacking midfielder like De Bruyne, not a defensive midfielder like Fabinho, as a central midfielder, I would argue he was the best in the league that year. The year before, very, very inconsistent. Very, very inconsistent. So you've got a better version of Kovacic, and you got Pulisic. And you got Mason Mount, who'd been on loan the year before, so Sarri didn't have him at his disposal. And you got Tammy Abraham, who was on loan the previous season, and uh, Sarri, again, didn't have at his disposal. And you got Tamori, who had been on loan the previous season, and Sarri didn't have at his disposal. That's five players. So would you rather have Eden Hazard or... That group of players. I'd rather have that group of players. Thank you very much. Um, it, it beggars belief that that has been an excuse that's been accepted for so long. Lampard took Chelsea backwards. And the reason he was getting praise is because he didn't take them as far backwards as he was expected to. People thought Chelsea would finish sixth. Which says a lot about Frank Lampard. This is a team... It, you know put together for hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds with the third or fourth highest wage bill in the league. To finish anywhere other than top four would be catastrophic. It would take an incredible amount of ineptitude to finish outside the top four with that squad. So for Lampard to say he's held to a higher standard is absolute nonsense. He was voted... As a nominee for manager of the year last year. For taking his team backwards. When has that ever happened? When has a manager. Clearly made his team worse. And been voted for the manager of the year. It's never happened before. It'll never happen again. He got away with it. He overlooks how privileged he is to be in the position he's in. He got the Derby job because Uncle Harry made a phone call and he got the Chelsea job because A, nobody else wanted it at the time and B, his name is Frank Lampard. He didn't get it based on any kind of managerial credentials. He hasn't kept it based on any kind of managerial credentials. He's received no criticism and in truth I said Ollie was more protected, but Ollie has received more criticism. Frank has received none. And when you see Chelsea play, you can tell that it's not a tactical genius who's putting that game plan in place. It's very rudimentary stuff, it's very paint by numbers. It's a little bit Tim Sherwood, if you know what I mean. So, check your privilege, Mr. Lampard. You're not held to any higher standard. In fact, you're held to a much lower standard. Because Antonio Conte won the league title. And then they wanted to push him out the door. Maurizio Sarri finished third. And won the Europa League. And then got pushed out the door. You finished fourth and bottled the FA Cup final. And you want a round of applause? You want people to feel sorry for you? Look at that squad. Just take take a moment and go and look at Chelsea's squad somewhere. Because it is obscene. And this man wants to claim he's been held to a higher standard. Like, I could understand if Chelsea had started the season well, but they haven't. They got completely outplayed by Brighton. Very, very lucky win. They got completely outplayed by Liverpool. They got blessed against West Brom. They hammered Crystal Palace. They made an absolute mess of themselves against Southampton. And their performance away to United was a joke. An absolute joke. A United team that played that badly still outplayed them. So I, I don't want to hear that he's held to a higher standard. He's talking absolute rubbish. It's the same privilege that got him the job in the first place when Uncle Harry made a phone call to Mel Morris. Leeds fans were right. Stop crying, Frank Lampard. That's it. That is our show for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt. See you tomorrow. Network.